Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, sponsoring this episode of the HPO podcast is Inside Tracker and By Optimizers. Inside Tracker helps you gauge your progress every day, every step of the way towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. I would recommend using their program to get some blood panels done. These blood panels can help give you a spotlight on areas that you may need to do some work, areas you're doing great on, and things you can tweak either with your diet or through supplementation. They are offering HPO listeners 25% off their entire store for a limited time. So head over to InsideTracker.com, check out their offerings, and if you decide there's something you like, throw in promo code HPOPRO25, that's HPOPRO25, and get 25% off. Uh, those links and notes will also be in the show notes. And if you head to zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors, you can see the details there as well. Bioptimizers is highlighting their magnesium breakthrough supplement, which is the only organic full spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. A lot of folks are low in magnesium and sometimes that can impact their sleep. So if you're looking for the calming sleep enhancing effects of magnesium, head over to bioptimizers.com and check out their breakthrough magnesium. Promo code HUMAN10, that's H-U-M-A-N-1-0, will get you 10% off your next order. Links to that can be found in the show notes and also at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Also, don't forget, Bioptimizers always offers a 360-day money-back guarantee. So you can rest assured that even if you decide you don't like the product, they will refund your purchase. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. And today I am doing a solo episode. This will end up being episode 261 for those interested. And I'm going to go over a few things, some updates as to kind of what I've been up to, uh, some kind of training, nutrition updates. Uh, I'm going to answer some questions that I came in from listeners, as well as touch on a few new things that I want to introduce into these solo episodes that I do put up from time to time. And one would be just a sample day of the workouts that I do and the foods I'm eating during those types of workouts so that folks can kind of have a snapshot into some of that. And then I'm going to challenge you. I challenge you as listeners to take on a specific workout. So when I'm coaching, I oftentimes have a catalog of workouts that I pull from. Now I do deviate from that, individualize it, kind of tweak things for, for personal types of situations but I have kind of the standard list of the type of workouts that I kind of build those off of. So I'm going to be kind of pulling from that from time to time when I do these type of episodes and give you some, some challenges. And it's going to range from some short, fast interval stuff, maybe some longer intervals, tempo run type stuff, maybe even a long effort. And I will have some uh, types of uh, descriptions in that for folks who are maybe just getting started versus folks who are kind of in that moderate category and then those advanced folks out there who've been hitting the periodized training cycle for quite some time now. So look forward to that at some point during this episode as well before the end. 
Uh, but before we get started, I do want to give a quick shout out to a few of my new Patreon supporters. So folks who are interested, if you do want to support the show outside of liking, sharing, and subscribing, which does go a long way. But if you do want to support monetarily, one option is to join the Patreon page. And some of the perks that come along with the Patreon page is you do get the podcasts ad-free. Uh, depending on the tier, you also will get them early. So typically what happens is I'll record an episode of someone and once I have a chance to edit it, I'll upload it to Patreon first. And then eventually I have a schedule where I'll release it to all platforms. So that $3 per month tier gets that early episode ad-free, $1 per month Patreon gets the ad-free episode, uh, which is accessible uh, usually the day before I release the podcast uh, to all the other platforms. But here's the shout out. Uh, We have a new Patreon supporter, uh, Vico Vedic, Chris Cornell. Chris is a former guest on the show. Uh, Thanks, Chris, for the donation and spending some time with me on HBO Podcast. And life at 130 beats per minute. So life at 130 beats per minute, I'm guessing is uh, maybe a maximum aerobic function uh, follower, <laughs> liking the, the zone two aerobic stuff quite a bit, perhaps. But thanks a bunch to you three for jumping on the Patreon page. Uh, folks who are interested, if you don't want to join Patreon, I understand that that is a process to set up an account on there and things like that. If you just want to do a one-time donation or support the show a little more directly, there are other options that avoid third-party platforms on my website at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. And that is also the landing page for all the episodes that I put up. So all the show notes, the links, the details, and that sort of stuff can be found there as well. Uh, One other really interesting announcement I have here is uh, for those of you who listen to this show from the UK, uh, I possibly have a a treat for you all if you're interested. There's a guy named Matt Carpenter, and he's a PhD researcher in the UK at Kingston University, London. And Matt sent me an email saying that he's looking to do a, a pretty big study, I think, about just optimal fueling strategies for ketogenic athletes. Uh, From what I understand, it would entail going into the lab, I believe five times to get tested. And they're going to try a variety of different things around different fueling uh, strategies. And just to kind of maybe tease out a bit how something like a small amount of carbohydrate would impact someone who's quote unquote keto adapted and maybe compare that to some of the research of folks who are fueling on moderate high carbohydrate diets. Uh, what you'd likely get out of that would be some very, very detailed biomarkers that you can only get when they put you in a laboratory and strap you up to all the machines. So uh, folks who are interested in kind of knowing things like what is your peak fat oxidation rate? What are the ratios of fats to carbohydrates that you're going to be burning at various intensities? Uh, setting up a individualized, personalized fueling strategy. These are all things you're going to be able to pull from that data that they get from you on this study. So If you're really interested in getting that and want to volunteer your time for that study, you'll probably get a lot of some pretty cool uh, things to help you structure your training and fueling. And uh, for an example of how that can be useful, when I ran 11 hours and 19 minutes for hundred miles back in 2019, the fueling strategy I used at the Pettit center that day was based on a laboratory uh, test that I did that showed my ranges of fat to carbohydrate metabolism at different intensities. That's kind of how I came to the spot of targeting 
that kind of around 40 grams of carbohydrate per hour during that particular event. So if you're interested in that kind of details, that sort of information, check that out. Uh, Matt Carpenter is going to be leading the study. I will have a link in the show notes to some details as to how you would sign up for that if you're interested. So UK listeners, check it out. Help Matt out. He's looking to answer some questions and I would love to hear that and uh, what he comes up with, with, with all your support. Um, next up is a bit of a training update. So, uh, I had been doing some solo podcasts earlier in the year before I acquired an injury. And, uh, it, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've been super fortunate when it comes to injuries. I have been injured one other time since kind of partaking ultra marathon, partaking in ultra marathons in a kind of a holistic way back in 2011, 2010 timeframe. So injuries have been something that I've been able to avoid for the most part up until now, there had only been one other event or main event that I had to kind of step out of because of an injury. And, uh, that is kind of part of part of it sometimes. Uh, so when it does happen, I think you just have to like understand there's nothing you can do to go back and fix it. You kind of have to pick the new path that's the best path forward and go from there and work on rebuilding and hopefully learning from the situation too, which I thankfully believe I have been doing. So back in, I believe it, at this point it would have been end of July, end of July, early August, I was starting to get into the thick of preparations for a big project I was going to be doing at the start of September this year called the Transcontinental Run, where I was going to run from San Francisco to New York, try to raise awareness and funds for a charity called Fight for the Forgotten. And along the way, during one of my key training sessions, I aggravated my right ankle. Uh, I have had some issues with my right ankle in the past, but it's usually been really minor. Like, you know, I'm out on real technical trails and I give it a good roll and then it's a little swollen for a few days, or maybe it's just a little more tender after a big ultra marathon than say my left ankle. Uh, usually it has been very, very specific to very terrain stuff. So I haven't really had any hiccups with that when I've been doing flat running controlled environment running type stuff historically. So that's what was different. This one kind of flared up on me after a big training effort on the flats up in Flagstaff. And the next day my ankle was just swollen up massively compared to the left one. Uh, and it remained that way for a couple of days. So given the timeline I was looking at with an early September start, where my hope was going to be to run, uh, run slash walk for 12 to 14 hours per day for the better part of six plus weeks. I knew I had to be proactive and get it looked at and make sure there wasn't anything structurally wrong there and, and try to figure out what was going on. So I had a few experts look at it. I had some MRIs done. Ultimately, I had a couple of uh, partially torn ligaments on both sides of my right ankle. A little bit of tendonitis had developed along my Achilles on that right side. So what I had to do was kind of go back to square one, let everything kind of settle down. And then the recipe, according to the professionals that I talked to, the specialists I talked to was to start gradually easing back into training. Once there was no more discomfort in the area and the swelling had dissipated and then gradually increase the training load on a very controlled surface until I can incrementally get back up to my full training load. Once I'm able to kind of get through that, then I can start introducing very trained stuff. So more technical trail or undulating type surfaces and things like that to the program. So this was a while ago at the point. So I have gotten back to running and I'm very thankful that things have been progressing in a really positive way. I've had a couple really good weeks of training in the last month. Now 
uh, all on pretty controlled terrain, flat roads for the most part, uh, with not a whole lot of issues with the ankle flaring back up on me or anything like that. So that has been positive. I've also been able to introduce some speed work, which I was a little skeptical about at first, because that tends to be just a little more high impact in terms of how it affects some of those contact points like feet and ankles. So I was a little cautious getting into that, but that doesn't seem to be bothering it much. Uh, I have kept my volume relatively low compared to where I would maybe be at this point in a, in a training cycle, but uh, that's probably allowed me to do a little more speed work, which has kind of been a lot of fun too, to kind of switch things up a bit from, especially compared to what I was doing for Transcon, which was a lot of long, slow stuff because it kind of had to be to, to mimic that type of a environment. Uh, but going forward, I haven't necessarily picked a specific race yet that I think I'll try to do, but if things keep going in the right direction, I should be able to do maybe a couple races by the end of the year. Uh, they'll have to be pretty flat and controlled and they'll have to be single day because I'll be very cautious and careful about uh, putting that ankle through like, you know, multiple big days. So like, back-to-back ultra marathon style sessions are going to be a little more touch and go. And if I go and run, say a 50 miler, I'll probably need to be very cautious with that ankle in the following days to make sure I don't, you know, re-aggravate it. And certainly if I do hundred miles at the end of the year is all to do that. And then ultimately I do want to do a transcontinental run at some point. I'm not throwing that project out the door altogether. Uh, it's just something I'm going to have to do at a later date, given the nature of that project, from what I can gather, ideally you do it early to mid-September start in order to hit the best possible weather across the country, avoid as many uncertainties as possible. So I'm going to probably stay consistent with that type of a starting date. And then I'll just come down to what year to do it. And also I'm going to probably go through a few more, uh, maybe multi-day type stuff before I put that on the calendar again, just so I can really figure out exactly what I need to do to keep myself in one piece so that I don't end up uh, putting a lot of people in a position to be uh, supporting me along the way for that. And then they're just getting hurt partway across or something like that. So uh, I'll have a lot, I have a lot of, a lot of exploring to do probably before I can put it on the calendar again, but eventually it will get there. And like a lot of lessons, I think in ultra running, I think if you really believe and want to do something, there's a path forward and it just doesn't always happen when and how you expect or want it to do. So if you're willing to be patient and do the work, eventually it happens. And I'm kind of using that as my kind of my guide or my philosophy at the moment when it comes to that. I'll also be looking to support Fight for the Forgotten in some other ways uh, until the time I'm able to kind of use this cross-country run project as a way to raise awareness for them. So Keep a lookout on collaborations with Justin Ren and Fight for the Gotten from me if you're interested in hearing what they're up to and possibly supporting uh, that charity. Um, so let's see a couple things that I have been doing a little differently with this training is when I have trained for hundred milers in the past. A lot of times I look at it as this is a distance that is far enough to one side of the spectrum in terms of intensity that you have this situation where you can maybe compartmentalize the intensities a little more specifically. So rather than a typical setup that you're going to see in a lot of endurance training plans, where maybe 
one day of the week you work on kind of short fast intervals or something that they maybe call like a VO2 max session. And then another day during the week, you might work on like say a tempo run or long intervals that are going to be targeting like your lactate threshold or your functional threshold power, uh, you know, a pace essentially that you can maybe maintain for about 60 minutes. If you were to do a time trial, uh, you might do something that's mimicking that one day to the week. And then you might kind of build your long run out. And those might be kind of like three kind of core sessions that you aim to target per week. And you're kind of developing different systems and addressing different, different things that you're going to be able to use to kind of get you faster for race day. And then it just kind of comes down to how you do them, how much of them you do and which ones you maybe lean on them a little more heavily come, uh, you know, peak training phase when you're say like four weeks out from like your race or six weeks out from your race with hundred milers. What I have found at least on paper, I think like a pretty good starting point, if you know nothing about, yourself or the person you're working with outside that they want other than that they want to run a hundred mile. I think there's a little more ability to say, separate those where you might start with the least specific early and then work towards the most specific and kind of do those a little more in steps versus blended. So that might look like, you know, a few weeks targeting short intervals, and then you might transition into a few weeks where you're targeting long intervals, tempo runs. Then you might transition into a few weeks where you're focusing almost entirely on building up your long run and working on race day, specific intensities, environments, and things like that. That's what I did when I was preparing for some of the hundred milers I've done in the past. Uh, I've gotten a little curious because I do think like when you get up to hundred miles, it's really interesting because it's like such a mental psychological thing on top of physical demands that you're going to do. Uh, I think like really being consistent and excited about the training is probably about as impactful as like the very small amount of like incremental benefits you get from say doing a two minute interval versus a 30 second interval or something like that. I mean, you can look in the literature and find like, Oh, this type of interval is the best structured. So I'm going to whittle down my types of workouts to say 10 or 12 different workouts. I'm just going to rinse and repeat those. That's fine. But you know, a lot of people over like multiple training cycles, they might get sick of that repetition and they might leave something on the table due to that lack of kind of like energy with, Oh, this is a new, exciting type of workout. I'm excited to see how I can do, or just kind of the change that you might get by mixing up a little bit. So, um, one thing I did for the USATF hundred mile road championships, is I did a little more of a blended buildup where I was kind of combining some of my short intervals and my long intervals and tempo runs uh, during part of the plan, I still kind of started out focusing mostly on short intervals, but then I kind of weaved in long intervals and tempo runs kind of partway through that and did like a blend for a while and started like sort of phased out the short intervals as I got closer to the race itself. Uh, and I, I kept a little bit more of the kind of the lactate threshold tempo run type intensities a little further into the plan too, as I was also building up my long run. And Part of that was just kind of, I was curious about it and I wanted to see kind of how that bared fruit, if at all. And, you know, if, if I would even be able to tease any of it out at that, at that particular race, but it was kind of fun and interesting. Um, the hard part about that particular race was because of COVID, it got delayed by a couple months, which made it uh, go from a race that would normally have pretty ideal weather around 70 degrees to, I think it hit 94 degrees that day. So there was this big heat element that kind of made it a little more messy or harder to compare to other flat controllable hundred mile courses, courses in the past. Uh, but in terms of fitness and everything, you know, I had a good day. I won the race and, you know, there was a lot 
uh, a lot of takeaways in general from it. And it was a fun, fun plan to follow. So I'm kind of maybe hitting reset on that a little bit with this training plan and kind of blending some of my short interval and my long interval tempo run type workouts together. And that just might kind of stretch out the timeline at which I focus on kind of those moderate to high intensity workouts before ultimately saying, okay, I'm going to do this hundred miler on this date. Now I really do need to start pushing a lot of my training load towards the specific paces and intensities and environment at which I'm going to raise. Cause ultimately at the end of the plan, you want to be doing the things in bulk that you're going to be doing on race day. So you have a chance to work on things like pacing, like the mechanics and the breakdown that's going to occur at that relative intensity. And then also just like whatever fueling and hydration strategy you find is going to work for you that day. You get a lot more opportunities to practice that at the intensity you're going to be moving and tease out what will, and maybe will not work for you at the individual level. So that's kind of how I've been going about that at the moment. Uh, some questions that I've had come in, I had some good ones come in and one had to do with just like blocking workouts versus hard, easy, hard. So this is a really interesting topic to me. And I think it's kind of goes alongside with just like a ways to kind of make your training plan, maybe a little different or a little more exciting. If you're getting a little sick of the kind of the repetition of things after doing a few cycles of training and blocking workouts, essentially what the goal there is, is you're trying to condense the amount of time between moderate to hard sessions. So rather than say doing like, you know, a speed session on Tuesday, then taking an easy day, maybe even a rest day, and then doing another speed session on Thursday and having that hard day, an easy day followed by a hard day type of repetition blocking would be like, I go out Monday and do a hard session, go Tuesday, do a moderate session and kind of have that tight time. So The research would show that if you can pull that off and execute those workouts at the same intensity and the same quality as you would when you went hard, easy, hard, there might be a very small performance gain that you can have by blocking workouts. With that being said, you have to be careful. So when someone's new, they're likely going to get just as much benefit from the standard hard, easy, hard process than they would if they blocked the workout. So if you're new save the blocking until later. Uh, if you're doing an ultra marathon, you might still want to block quote unquote, your, your long runs, which is just a little bit different. I would say, because the intensity is so much lower, but with ultra running, one of the things that I believe separates it a bit from some of the more standard and just standard endurance things is you might have a situation where on Saturday and Sunday, you do two long runs, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, versus like a traditional marathon buildup where you might just on Sunday, do a solo long run during that week. Uh, I think new runners can still block some of their long runs, but as always, you want to do that at a level that you're at. I like to call it micro stressing. So if you find yourself in a position to be kind of targeting a long run, ignore what your friend is doing, (laughs) ignore what other people are doing. If they're like, you know, going on Strava or social media and saying, yeah, I just did this 30 mile long run. It's like, cool. That's great. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe it's not. You always want to kind of incrementally increase that over time so that you're not what I like to call macro stressing, because what happens is maybe you can go out and do that 30 mile long run like your friend did. Uh, but if that makes it much more difficult or impossible to execute the next stage of your training, you may have taken more off the table in order to do that one-off workout and left actual more progress uh, by doing too much versus doing the appropriate amount. 
Um, other things to worry about with blocking speed work, which is more typically how that's going to be kind of implemented in endurance training programs is uh, injury risk. So you will increase your risk of getting hurt if you do something hard or moderate one day and then follow that up the next day with something hard or moderate. So you want to be extra cautious doing that. If you're someone who has had a history of injury or if you've been injured in the last, like, say 12 to 18 months or so, you may want to hold off on blocking workouts uh, unless you have a reason to believe at the individual level that that's not what is going to cause the injury or re-aggravate an injury or something like that. Uh, but you do have to be kind of conscious of that risk reward and the risk does go up a little bit by blocking workouts. So keep that in mind as well. Another tip with blocking workouts, typically speaking, you want to do the harder of the two first. One of the reasons for this is because since you're blocking them, you do run the risk of not having quite as much quality because you're shortening your recovery time in between. Uh, some people may find like, okay, I can block the workout, but then that second one is just a little less quality of a session than if I went hard, easy, hard. You may have lost all the performance advantages if that's the case. So be mindful of that and kind of track it and be honest with yourself with the quality. And typically speaking, you want to do the harder one first the easier of the two sessions second, it's going to minimize the, the likelihood of a situation like that happening where your quality begins to suffer. Uh, an example that might be like a hard short interval session on Monday, followed by, you know, a, like say a 20 minute tempo run on Tuesday or something like that. Typically speaking, the short interval sessions probably gonna be a little more difficult than the 20 minute uh, tempo run in most cases. So that may be a scenario in which uh, you'd want to kind of set it up that, that way. Uh, next question. Uh, someone asked assessing fitness before developing a training plan specifically for ultras. So this person was curious, like, how do I kind of know how to set up my training? Are there any type of like assessments that you do to kind of get into the groove of things and set up like what pace or what intensity to target? Uh, generally speaking, I like to lean on perceived effort. Uh, when it comes to pacing things. So I understand that someone new may have zero connection to perceived effort, at least relative to the activity of running. So they may need to lean on things like heart rate, pacing, uh, other like certain like kind of responses their bodies gives them or signs and signals their body gives them in order to be able to properly execute that workout. So a lot of times when I'm developing a plan for somebody or myself, even there are a couple, uh, kind of training, uh, time trial type things I like to do to kind of help people kind of figure out things like that. So, uh, one would be if we're going to say, start focusing on short intervals In short intervals, I usually use about 30 seconds as the shortest all the way up to four minutes at the longest. And a lot of times I'm trying to get the person or myself to target an intensity that they could sustain for roughly 12 minutes if they were to run 12 minutes as evenly paced as fast as they could. So whether they're doing 30 second intervals or four minute intervals, they're going to be targeting that pace. Uh, the difference is always going to be the length of the interval and the length of recovery. I typically program these in a one-to-one -one work to rest ratio. So if you're doing 30 second intervals, you're also going to want to do a 30 second recovery between those. If you're doing four minute intervals, there'll be four minutes on four minutes off all at that pace or intensity that you could do for say 12 minutes all out, um, evenly paced. So you, it generally it's called a Cooper test. So 
Uh, if someone who is just kind of clueless as to what that intensity is, that can shine a light on that to kind of get an idea. Um, generally speaking, I find the intervals, the short intervals are a little easy just to kind of get right because it is pretty hard in the sense that you're almost running as fast as you can within reason. Uh, obviously you need to pace yourself if, because you, like, otherwise you're just sprinting and then slowly fading. So, uh, but, but generally speaking, people can kind of push up to what feels hard and kind of get to that point. Cause it's just pretty apparent when you're, when you're pushing hard. Uh, and then, you know, if you don't want to do the, the, the Cooper test or a time trial type of thing, um, you can always just start targeting short intervals by going hard and taking a look at the data afterwards. If you have a scenario where, okay, I'm progressively getting a little slower each time, chances are you need to slow down a bit in the early ones or maybe reduce the number of them that you're doing. Or if you have a situation where like you're progressively getting faster each interval minus like a little bit of nuance where a lot of times I find the first interval might be a little slower in the second or third one, because you're kind of getting into the flow of it. Uh, you can sometimes just kind of like do a couple sessions and kind of uh, tease out where, where the right intensity is going to be for those. Uh, for the, the other one I like to do is a workout that, uh, or a time trial that Joel Friel kind of popularized where he has you go out and do a 30 minute time trial by yourself or a 60 minute time trial with a partner or in a race setting. Reason being that there's that variance there is if you have a partner or you're in a race setting, you're just going to probably push a little harder than you would when you're just self-motivating. So 30 minutes can get you pretty close when you're by yourself in the middle of a training, like training program. The 60 minutes is just going to be a little more accurate in a live race setting. So if you have that support and that type of atmosphere, but really what we're trying to target is what pace can you sustain for 60 minutes in a race setting or time trial, similar to the 12 minutes, just extended to 60 minutes. And that's how you're going to program and structure your long intervals and tempo run type efforts. So like, if you look at the plan and it says today, you have a 20 minute tempo run, then you're going to want to run that 20 minutes at the intensity that you could go for 60 minutes, all out evenly paced. If you were to do that in a race day setting, Joel Friel's the uh, a uh, workout that helps you do that. You do a 30 minute time trial by yourself. And then you take your average heart rate of the last 20 minutes of that 30 minute time trial. And that heart rate is a good target to, to, to aim for if you're looking to use heart rate, or you could probably just take pace to whatever the, assuming that the weather and the environment is controlled, you know, pace is an interesting one. I think the more you can control an environment, the more you can lean on pace uh, as a guide for workouts, the less you can control environment, you know, the less valuable that's going to be. Like if I, if I decide to myself, like a specific workout is a six minute mile, for example, but then I go and I decide to do the workout on a 10% incline. If I run six minute mile pace on that incline, it's probably going to feel a lot more like I'm running a 530 pace mile minute mile. So, uh, pace can be valuable. It tends to require a lot more control. Uh, heart rate can be messy, can be noisy, uh, but it can be useful for folks that have some data on it. I think perceived effort is still going to be kind of your gold standard. Once you can kind of understand just kind of how your body responds to different intensities, whether that be kind of an easy intensity, a moderate intensity or a hard intensity, the better you're able to just kind of intuitively do these type of workout sessions. Um, 
and go from there. So that's, that's kind of how I would assess things before diving into some of those specific stuff. Ultimately though, the one thing that you're going to want to kind of drive a lot of the stuff is your goals for race day. So if you're picking a race and you decide, I want to run this time, and that requires me to do this pace at some point, you do want to be targeting that. Uh, the, one of the interesting things with endurance training and racing is that, uh, you know, some of these intensities make more sense from a physiological standpoint, like aerobic threshold. There's like a crossover point when you go from easy into moderate intensity, like lactate threshold is another interesting point. These things are a little more like abrupt. If you were to say, like strap yourself up to a metabolic card and test it. Now the marathon is such a popular distance that it becomes kind of crucial for folks training for those to eventually target what we would call marathon pace. And that might actually become a workout. Uh, so that's why sometimes if you say, go get a marathon workout plan, it might have a phase in there where you're running the pace you plan on doing. And if you have a goal of say, like, say you want to break four hours or three hours for the marathon at a certain point, you're going to want to practice running that. So you can kind of get the mechanics uh, like really dial in the specifics of hitting that pace and maybe even test if it's an appropriate goal or not. You might find out, Hey, I was going to target this time. And it looks like I'm either going to be able to easily go faster than this, or I really need to reassess whether I want to try to go for that because there's a good chance it's too aggressive and I might end up blowing up and running quite a bit slower than my capabilities are too. So, uh, that along with whatever fuel fueling strategy you might want to practice are good reasons to eventually get around to doing race pace type stuff and kind of have that planned into your, your training session. Another question was multiple races in one week. And this one was specifically referring to kind of some of the shorter endurance events, like say five kilometers to eight kilometers. So if you're, you're somebody who's going to be doing a lot of racing or finding yourself in a situation where you're going to be doing more than one race in a week. Uh, like what would my strategy be for something like that? I think ideally what you're going to want to do for that is you're going to want to pick one of the two races that is going to be kind of like your focal point, assuming either of them are, you may be in a situation where you're doing like, you know, like a cross country season or even a track season where you're going to race, you know, dozen plus times over the course of a season. And with that in mind, you're going to probably try to peak near the end. So like if you're doing multiple races, like, so let's say it's a high school cross country season and you have a race on Tuesday evening and then a race Saturday morning or something like that. Um, ultimately, I think you want to go in there with some goals. And a lot of times when you start kind of doubling up on races, I do think you want to start looking at your overall training load for that week as well. So if you're doing two races, that's essentially an increase in training load in that kind of race type setting. So if it is say like a 5k and an 8k or you know, two 5ks, two 8ks, uh, you know, you're going to end up with anywhere between six and a quarter miles up to almost 10 miles of race intensity training load that week. So you might want to look at them as workout replacements. So rather than maybe going out and doing uh, that short interval session on Tuesday, maybe you take that one off the schedule that week and do that 5k and try to kind of hit that system a little bit during that race itself. Uh, or, you know, maybe if it's the, the 8k, you decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do that race at the end of the week, but it's going to replace a workout that I would have done on Thursday or something like that. So that you're not kind of adding that on top of what you're already trying to do. Um, Interesting question, fun question though. And I think uh, 
you know, a lot of people like to go to races and I think these park runs are getting more popular too. So there's a lot of opportunities, even for people who are no longer, you know, running on say, uh, cross country teams and things like that. Uh, next question. How do you structure your nutrition during this phase of training, higher volume, moderate, high intensity? Um, so the question is kind of like, how do, how do I structure my nutrition differently when I'm in the phase of training where my target is moderate to high intensity with some element of volume included that isn't like really, really low relative to what I'm typically capable of. So in this phase of training for me, since I'm, I follow a low carbohydrate diet, which means that, uh, I'm typically always going to have a greater amount of fat in my diet than carbohydrates. Uh, my protein stays a little more consistent across the board. Uh, but I do periodize my training, meaning I'm going to do higher and moderate intensity workouts during certain phases of the year, kind of like I described at the beginning. And then I'm going to have phases where I'm relatively lower intensity for the bulk of my running because I'm targeting hundred mile race intensity and really building up my volume within that. So those type of things are going to help dictate how low carbohydrate I go. Uh, there's points during the off season where I might go very low and follow kind of a more strict ketogenic diet. And then there's going to be phases like this one that's described here, where I'm focusing on moderate high intensity work as kind of the bulk of my, my development focus. I might let my carbohydrates get up a little higher. So for me personally, that means there'll be like, I might push up higher to like maybe 20 and at some fairly rare, but it's not, not entirely uncommon during some of these more intense phases of training up to 30% of my diet coming from carbohydrate. So, uh, that's where that would, would differ a bit. It tends to kind of average itself out a little bit. If you look at over the course of the year where you add in like off seasons, recovery weeks or rest days where I may drop it quite a bit back lower. And then over the course of a year, I'm probably closer to maybe like say 10% carbohydrate intake on average, uh, when you blend all that stuff together, um, in terms of structuring the actual day or days around that type of stuff, I try not to get too focused on one particular day as like a focus point. I try to look at more or less a kind of like a range of days so that I'm not necessarily kind of putting myself in a position where I feel like I have to do certain things uh, in a kind of arbitrary time window. Like we kind of come up with this like 24 hour, one day period where it's like, well, I eat this and then it resets the next day. And then I do that. And then it resets the next day when in reality, like it's probably a little more, uh, you know, complicated perhaps than that. So, you know, I might have a situation where I'm doing say short intervals one day, and I might go quite a bit above my average carb intake that day. But then that next day I might have a rest day or just really, really slow, easy run. And the intensity is really low. The main focus is recovery where I can go quite a bit below what I would normally eat from carbohydrates. And then over the average of those two days might kind of be a little more closely related to my historic yearly average, if that kind of makes sense. All right. The last question we have was short distance endurance race training versus the marathon and ultra marathon type of stuff. The actual question was actually pretty cool. It was like, well, a lot of people seem to be talking about ultra marathon and marathon type stuff nowadays, but a lot of people are still doing a lot of the shorter park run 5k type runs. And how do we train for those? What is the difference there? 
So they want to just maybe a snapshot of like maybe what the way to prepare for that would be versus what they're hearing about some of these ultra marathon training stuff. And I can totally appreciate that. I mean, five K's are a blast. 10 K's are a blast. Uh, there's so much fun. And, uh, I invite anyone who's interested in that sort of stuff to give it a swing. Cause it's, you, you won't walk away disappointed. Uh, the difference is mostly order of operations. In my opinion, I don't necessarily think you need to be super, uh, different in the types of workouts you would do for say a 5k or a 10k compared to like a marathon or even a hundred miler. It will just probably depend as to like where you put those workouts. So if you look at kind of what I do to prepare for a hundred miler, you'll notice I'm doing short intervals. Like I said, they typically range from 30 seconds to up to four minutes in, 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 in length. And I'm typically doing those very early in my training plan for a hundred miler because it's an intensity that's very unspecific to the race intensity that I'm going to be targeting. Now, if I were going to be doing a 5k or a 10k, it would be exactly the opposite. Those short intervals are going to be very specific to the intensity at which I'm going to probably race at. So I might want to be injecting those type of workouts more heavily near the end of the plan as I'm getting ready to start those races. Uh, the other thing to consider too, is especially if you're kind of getting into that kind of like maybe 10 K and for some folks who are a little more experienced up to maybe even a half marathon, those long intervals and tempo runs that I might kind of do near the middle of my training plan for a hundred miler, those also I'll probably stretch out all the way up into race season. So that's going to be another thing. I'm, I'm going to be much more likely to blend those. Uh, I'm going to be consistently going to be probably once I get close to racing season and in racing season, doing short intervals and tempo run long interval stuff in the same week and carry those through most of the season versus maybe phasing some of that out as I get closer to the race, when I'm doing these longer ultra runs type stuff. So that's another difference. Uh, I should probably back up though, like foundation, I think is going to be very similar. I think like a solid eight to 12 weeks, of just base building where you're targeting like easy to the top end of easy and trying to kind of like cut yourself off right before you would enter like a moderate intensity. Some may put that roughly at about 80% your max heart rate. Uh, you're going to be wanting to do a lot building volume at that so that you have that kind of foundation in which you're going to place some of these workouts at. So the way that I like to describe is if you think of like a high school cross country runner, they've got this like really like perfect kind of three month, 12 week, uh, like, chunk of time in the summer to prepare for what is going to happen during the cross country season where they're going to be running maybe five K's if they're college age, maybe eight K to 10 K. Uh, but that 12 months in the summer, they should be doing like a lot of like easy to high end, easy stuff, base building, watching their pace drop at that intensity and putting that foundation in place. So when they do start doing the shorter intervals and the longer intervals and tempo runs during the season and ultimately races as well. They have that structure there, that foundation there in order to build off of. Now I do think there is some benefit in maybe introducing some tempo runs, some long interval sessions near the end of that 12 weeks, as you're getting into the season to kind of start pushing that a little closer towards it. Yeah. A lot of times it's just going to depend on the length of the season, how much time you have, how many races you're going to do and things like that. But once that season kind of starts, you want to start, focusing on developing a lot of the workouts or putting maybe a few more eggs in that basket of the workouts or the interval sessions that are going to target the pace at which you're going to run at. 
So using the races you're targeting, the intensity at which you're going to races or the pace that you're going to race those at can be kind of a, a real good clue as to how you should structure some of those interval sessions and some of those tempo runs. Uh, so hopefully that answers, answers your questions a bit. I do have um, some training plans on my website at zachbitter.com and included in those are some 5k training plans some half marathon training plans. Uh, I'll, I'll be aiming to add a 10k training plan in there at some point in time, but I do have some that kind of outline what I described on there for some ready-made plans. If folks are interested in kind of having that guide following my philosophy there as well. Um, cool. That was all the questions that I had in. So folks, I do plan on doing some more solo podcasts in the next few months. And if you do have questions, feel free to shoot me a note either at hpopodcast at gmail.com or on any of my social media channels too, with, with your questions, I'll try to do a better job of putting up a post before I record these to let people know that I'm going to do one and then collect some of the questions. Cause that is where a couple of these good ones came from this week. Uh, and I think that would be a valuable, valuable way to kind of collect those type of things. Uh, next though, I want to challenge you. So kind of like I said, in the beginning of this episode, I want to propose a workout challenge. And if possible, I want to hear back from you about how it went. If you did it, uh, my goal with these, I think is mostly just to get people excited to get out and do a workout that they maybe don't do historically, or I know sometimes I'll be kind of in a period of the year where I don't really have a great focus for whatever reason, like there's not a race. Uh, this was kind of highlighted for me during all the COVID stuff and races were getting canceled left and right. And you kind of had to be a little more, uh, self-motivated, but also like you might have to build a goal that doesn't necessarily guarantee it's going to get off the ground, or you might have to change it at the last minute or refocus. So I think having these challenges are a great way to get people motivated to get out and do something maybe a little different than they would have in the past. Or if it's similar to what you've done in the past, add a little structure to some of your weekly targets, your weekly goals. So the challenge yourself workout for this episode is going to be a short interval session. Uh, it's going to start with a 10 to 15 minute walk or easy jog warm up. Then you're going to do three to four strides. So by strides, I think what you want to do here is target something roughly about a hundred meters. And when you start to stride, kind of work your way up to where you're running hard, hold that for maybe 50 meters or so, and then gradually decelerate back down the last 25 meters. Do that three or four times with like a minute or two in between. What that's going to do is just kind of close the gap between your warm up pace and the workout pace. So you're not just kind of going from really easy to really hard abruptly. Now, the next phase, I've got kind of three different uh, categories, and you can even break these up even further if you want, but I have them divided into beginner, moderate, and advanced so that folks who are very new to this have an appropriate starting point. And folks who've done this stuff before don't feel like I'm just lobbing them a, an easy, an easy one here. So the interval sessions are structured at 60 seconds and it is going to be a one-to-one work to rest ratio. So that means for every second of intensity, you're going to have a second of recovery. So since we're doing 60 second intervals, that means you're going to go 60 seconds hard, 
And then you're going to follow that by a 60 second easy jog or walk. If you need to, I usually encourage to move somewhat, even if it's a slow walk, when you're standing still, that's when you tend to tighten up a little more. So even a nice, easy walk is going to make it easier to start that next interval. Uh, beginners start with eight of these. So you'll do your up, your strides, and then you'll do 60 seconds, hard 60 seconds, easy. You'll repeat this eight times total. The moderate level is 10 and the advanced is 12. Now, if you feel from your individual experience that you need to go lighter than eight or heavier than 12, by all means do it. My general recommendation is when you finish this workout, you should feel like you can do at least one and maybe two extra if you had to. If you find yourself getting that last one and it's like the lights are going on and off in your head, you, you may have done a couple extra. And the risk by doing that is you could potentially overexert for this one particular workout and macro stress to the point where you pull a future workout off the table. And then your overall volume at the intensity you're targeting may actually be lower, even though for that one specific workout, you were a rock star, if that makes sense. After you're done a nice 10 to 15 minute, easy walk jog to cool down is going to be a great way to kind of finish things off. And that's the challenge. So, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you go out and hit that workout, I'd love to hear from you as to how it went. Uh, positive negatives, uh, any feedback or any, uh, questions you might have relative to that are all welcome. Uh, finally, I have one more thing to share and that is just kind of a sample day. So the sample days that I'm going to share are going to just be kind of what I did for workouts that day. And then what I ate, um, I do encourage folks to be mindful that this is one day. So like I kind of said before, typically when I'm planning out my nutrition, I'm not looking at it necessarily as this is one day that I eat every single day like this. I'm balancing out the various goals and training as well as what's coming next and kind of how those all piece together. Uh, but I do think that people are curious about this. So I want to share a little bit more about it. So this sample day, uh, the workout that, or the workouts, I should say that were included was a morning AM training session where I did five by dreamy draw hill. So dreamy draw hill is just a hill outside by my house. It's not overly steep. I think it's maybe about six, 7% incline at points. And, uh, it takes me roughly a little over three minutes to get up there. So I like to use it for short intervals because it's kind of in that sweet spot of around three minutes and being uphill actually minimizes the risk of injury because the impact is lower. And since I'm training for a uh, hundred mile stuff, typically longer stuff, typically I'm not quite as concerned with leg turnover. Uh, like I would be if I was training for like a three K or a five K. So I'm looking for the intensity and if I can minimize the risk of injury, that's kind of a win and uphill is going to kind of give me those, those type of uh, benefits from it. So that five by dreamy draw hill, was the workout. I did kind of a warm up and a cool down before and after I believe the workout came out to be around 11 to 12 miles total. Uh, I hit that, that hill in about, I think the fastest one was three minutes and 11 seconds. The slowest one was three minutes and 14 seconds. So I was pretty consistent, which, which I was happy to see. Uh, I had a two day run scheduled. So later that afternoon, I went for a very easy 30 to 40 minute easy run. And one question I'll sometimes get from folks is like, 
easy runs are like, how easy should they be? And really the answer is there, they should be as easy as they need to be because your focus is recovery. So if you're pushing harder enough that you're not actually recovering from those sessions, you're better off either not doing them or slowing down. So these 30 to 40 minute easy runs, not uncommon at, uncommon at all that I'll be out there running two, three minutes per mile slower than the pace that I would hit if I was fresh and targeting like even the high end of easy or the low end of moderate. Uh, so they can be as easy as you need them to be to get what you're looking for, which is recovery. Uh, that day, I also did some lower body strength work. I like to pair my lower body strength work on the same days as I do short intervals when I can, because that way I keep kind of that shorter, intense work all compartmentalized into one day. So I'm not putting myself in a position where I might do a hard running workout one day and then a hard strength, lower body workout the next day and putting myself in a position where like, I'm not getting true recovery days built in. So what was included in, it was actually a lower body and core strength day. So I did some uh, KOT or knee over toe squats uh, for the people interested in that check out Ben Patrick or the knee, knees over toe guy uh, on Instagram. He has a lot of cool uh, uh, training uh, strength work stuff. And I like his, his KOT squats. So I'll usually put those in, uh, in some shape or form on my lower body days. I did some single leg, leg presses uh, weighted box steps and hanging leg raises and cable chops. Those last two being kind of core focuses nutrition for the day. Once I woke up, I had a cup of coffee, one scoop of S fuels life, one tablespoon of peanut butter, one tablespoon of honey, half a packet of element chocolate, and one packet of athletic greens. Then I went out for my first run post run. I had two medium potatoes, six eggs, one tablespoon of olive oil, half a cup of full fat cottage cheese, one ounce of sharp cheddar cheese and sea salt. Uh, went out for my afternoon easy run. And, uh, before heading to the gym, I had, uh, um, a smoothie that has one cup of blueberries, one cup of strawberries, four scoops of S fuels train, which is basically just like a, a fat powder that you can put in the smoothie. So if you want to make your traditional high carb, moderate carb smoothie into a high fat smoothie. That stuff is great for it. It's like strawberry lemonade flavored. So it tastes just like a normal smoothie, but it's got fat instead of carbohydrates. So I had four scoops of that in there. Um, half a packet of element raspberry, four ounces of milk, half a scoop of revival, which is a protein powder by S fuels, two ounces of walnuts and half a cup of yogurt. Uh, and like I said, then I had to do the gym to do strength work. That night at dinner, I had eight ounces of ground beef, four ounces of salmon, four tablespoons of sour cream, two ounces of sharp cheddar cheese, one cup of beets, one cup of broccoli, and one medium potato. Those last three uh, vegetable sources were steamed in uh, bone broth, so or boiled, I guess you could say. Um, the training focus for that day was kind of the macro look is a higher ratio of moderate to high intensity work, which I typically go up to maybe 20% of my total volume for is kind of the, I also kind of had some earlier stages of long run development during the week in which that workout occurred. Uh, but it included some moderate intensity injected into it. Uh, moving forward, I will start to scale off some of the higher intensity sessions. So you, you won't see too many more of those five by dreamy draws, short interval type sessions from me. And I'm replace them with a little bit more moderate and goal hundred mile race pace sessions. As I start to kind of tease out how ready I'll be to kind of pick a race later this year. Uh, but that's it. That is the sample day. 
That is uh, the questions. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback or any suggestions for future ones, feel free to shoot them my way. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks. If you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.